Let's go ahead and get started. Lord, we just thank you that you're always with us and that when we gather in your name, you promise that you're in our midst. You're inside of us and you're among us when we gather in your name. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness toward us, your grace toward us. It's so good to know that your mercies are new every morning. Every morning. The death of your son is like yesterday to you. A thousand years is like a day to you. You're the same God who said, go forth and announce to the world that they are forgiven. As if it happened yesterday. Thank you, Lord, that you're so big, so huge. That you're with us. Help us now, Lord, hear things that are, that are not of this world, not of men. Things concerning the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That we might be rooted and grounded in the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And built up in Him. Lord, that we might be strengthened by your spirit in our inner man. Strengthen us now, Lord, in our inner man because of the life of Christ that has been joined to our spirit within. Awesome. Thank you, Father. I pray that we would hear the music of heaven in our spirit. The music of heaven that never stops. Because he is always on the throne. Worthy is the Lamb. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday we shared a few thoughts about how, um, about the, the true meaning of repentance and what the word repent really means. I want to talk a little bit more about that this morning. Um, and just, just to uh, remind us briefly what we shared a little bit last Sunday, I love the, uh, the whole concept that uh, when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or within reach, that what he was actually saying, there, the, the meaning of that is so rich. Um, we, have, we have missed it. Religion has, has uh, blinded us to what that really is saying because of the baggage that is on that word repent. And I think the misunderstanding on the phrase the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. So you add those two things together and you miss what's being said there. But if we unpack some of that stuff and look at it in its simplicity and its awesomeness, it's just you can see why I think it was such glad news, such good news they were spreading concerning the kingdom of heaven. Now, just in a word, it, it, it means this, I think. It means this in just a word, and we'll look at some more stuff. Jesus was saying to us, change the way you are thinking. Change how you're thinking about things. Because another world right. is here. Yes. Another world. 
Another kingdom is here. Another world, another reality has come to earth. Change the way you're thinking. Change how you're thinking because what I am bringing is not something that can be it will be built on the foundation of this world, but it's an entirely new world. An entirely different thing. As the prophet said, consider not the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. It is, in fact, a new creation. A whole new world. It is heaven itself. Your kingdom come, Father. Your will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So he was proclaiming the incredible good news that God's world, God's realm, the Father's realm was coming to us. When all of man's thinking was before now, how we can get to him. How, can, how we can be good enough, obedient enough to get to heaven, Jesus is saying, change the way you're thinking because heaven is coming to you. For until John the Baptist, the law and the prophets were proclaimed. Until through John the Baptist, the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets is a reference to this world and what this world, the relationship that God had with this world, the law and the prophets had to do with this world, dealing with this world, the law and the prophets. But now, the kingdom of heaven is proclaimed. Something different, something totally different. Jesus said that some of you standing here, speaking to his disciples, he said, some of you standing here will not die until you see the kingdom of heaven come in power. You'll see this realm come in power. And then right after that, the verses indicate that he brought them up to the mountain, to this mountain. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration, but it's just a high mountain in Israel. Some think it was, it was Mount Hebron in the north. Some think it was another hill that's on the plain out there, but no one knows for sure where it was. But they, he brought them up to a high mountain. He took with him three apostles, James, Peter, and John, to the top of this mountain. He said, some of you are not going to die until you see the kingdom of heaven come in power. Now, what we, what, we, what we witnessed through them in the Scripture and what they witnessed was the unfolding of this invisible world. That's what it was. They saw this invisible world open up. They saw his, from within, what was inside of him, this realm come out of him so that it actually, when it touched his clothes, it made his clothes shine. The scripture says of the brightest white anyone had ever seen, a bright, glorious white. What was hidden in him came out in power and the other realm was seen such that Moses and Elijah were there present speaking to him. An invisible other reality that he allowed them to see, pull back the curtain and see. And the reason why it was Moses and Elijah is because they represented the law and the prophets. They represented how God dealt with this world until Christ. 
And Peter, misunderstanding what he was seeing, said, let's build a tabernacle to Moses and to Elijah and to Jesus. And that's when the cloud came down and the Father spoke and said audibly, hear my son. And then Moses and Elijah disappeared. What is the Father saying? He's saying the same thing the Son is saying. The law and the prophets were until John, but now the kingdom of heaven is proclaimed. Moses spoke of a righteousness by law. He was sent by God to bring the law, to bring a righteousness by works, by law. And that failed. And it failed in in such that he threw the tablets down and broke them, as you remember the, the scene in the Ten Commandments. But he went back up the mountain and God cut another set of tablets for Israel, which is an amazing act of humility that God is so humble that he would do it a second time. But it, it's a picture of, of the failure of the law to bring righteousness. That's what that's a picture of. That's why when God, when Moses went back up the mountain, he said, God said, Moses, this is a temporary thing. This is really not the final answer. The law was added, the scripture says, temporarily. He goes, let me show you the secret that's what's really going to happen. There's a place by me, Moses. This is when he went back up the second time to cut the, ca- the tablets the second time. He said, Moses, there's a place by me, near me. And I'm going to put you in that place. And in that place, you'll see all my glory and all my goodness. And this is the way of heaven. It's about being joined to me, Moses. It's about me being in you and you being in me. It's about seeing me. Because if you see me, you become like me. And your face will shine as you see my shining. It's my way, Moses. That's what's coming. And Elijah failed too. Elijah had the judgment fall on the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal were were slain at... at, uh, Mount Carmel, and the power of God was revealed, and yet Israel did not turn their hearts to, to God. And this show of judgment, because the prophet speaks of judgment, enforcing the law. And so they didn't turn, and even the king and Jezebel, you know, I think it was Jezebel, was it, that said, I'm going to have Elijah's head. And so Elijah took off running. He went back to the same place Moses went, same place, back to Sinai. In failure, judgment failed. Fear of judgment failed. The law will fail. Fear of judgment will fail to change men's hearts. So here's Elijah back up to Sinai saying, I'm the only one left. And, and, um, and of course, God spoke to him and says, Elijah, I have 7,000 yet that haven't bowed their knee. But let me show you what's coming, Elijah. Let me show you what's really coming. And he didn't hear God in the wind. He didn't hear God in the storm. He didn't hear God in the fire. And then he heard within him a still small voice. A voice within him. That's what's coming, Elijah. We're going to be placed in someone and someone's going to be placed in us. And that is heaven's way. And so when Moses and Elijah disappeared on that mount from the three apostles and they saw Jesus only, what they were seeing is Moses was seeing the righteousness that he was trying to bring in the law. And Elijah was seeing the voice 
that was be placed inside a man, the Word, the voice of God Himself within us that would bring life and revelation. If we, if we abide in Him and His words abide in us, we shall bear much fruit. That is what has come. That is the kingdom of heaven. That is the realm that has come. That is the, the uh, announcement that Jesus has, has brought to us. And so now we find ourselves in this unfolding revelation of this other world that we find ourselves in. Because the Christian life is not like, you know, trying to get from this island to another island and you're, you're uh, you know, rowing a boat. Uh, I shared this a long time ago, these, these, these examples of, uh, you know, rowing a boat, trying to get from one island to another island by your own efforts. That's not the Christian life, nor is the Christian life a motorboat where you have gasoline and you start the engine and, and what, this is better than rowing, but guess what? You run out of gas eventually because it's all about you either rowing or you putting the gas in the tank. It's not either one of those things, but the, the, the real, the Christian life is really where you're on this island and you fall asleep and you wake up on the other island. It's a miracle. But you don't realize that you're on the other island. It's still dark. And so as dawn breaks, the dawning of this new day within you, the new reality of that I'm really, I've died and I've been raised again, that I'm, I'm actually in Him. I've been translated to another realm. As the dawn breaks, as the light shines brighter and brighter into the perfect day, we begin to recognize things that are not like the other island. And we begin to realize, I'm not in Kansas anymore, Toto. You see what I'm saying? We are over the rainbow. We are in a different realm. We are in a different place. Just like God brought Noah and his family through judgment in that ark into another world, so to speak. That was what he was painting. A beautiful picture of two worlds. One, the old earth. Two, the new earth. And the only door to that new earth is the door that was on that ark, which is Christ. Passing through judgment through Christ, we pass through judgment into another world in His life and the rainbow of promise of no more judgment. And so that's, He's painting that picture all through Scripture, coming from Egypt into the promised land through a a Red Sea that parts to move us from one realm to another realm, a land filled with milk and honey. Pictures of this other world that was coming in Christ, the kingdom of heaven in the Spirit. So, and it's not that we have this perfect life now on earth at all, because Jesus said, in this world, you shall have trouble. We shall have trouble. We shall have tribulation in this world. But, he said, be of good cheer. We can be encouraged because we have overcome. He has overcome, and therefore we can overcome through him this world. Now, what does that mean, he has overcome this world? It means... That he has taken our death. He has taken what we deserved. In this world, we deserve death. We deserve judgment because of our sin. He took it all himself. The accuser has nothing to accuse us with. 
And he literally translated us from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son into where he is so that we are literally seated with him now in heavenly places. He with us, we with him. He has overcome this world by taking us out of the world. We're still in it, in these bodies, but not of it. What does that mean now, practically? What, What does that mean when we have hard times and trouble and tribulation and persecution and just... Just plain old human living, you know, where you get tired and you fall asleep in the boat. You're hungry, just being human. What, what does that mean? It means that no matter what we go through, it means that God is your daddy. Abba. It means that no matter what we're going through, God is your daddy. It means that no matter what we're going through, that he loves you and me without condition. He is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. He doesn't love us because of something lovable about us. He loves us because he is love. He is love. I like that when Moses said, Lord, who shall I say he sent me? What is, what is your name? And I love that he said, I think the, the, the right translation of that is not how we've been quite saying it. In the Hebrew, it actually says, I am who I am. Not I am that I am. It's I am who I am. Because a name speaks of so, who someone is, right? So instead of giving Moses just a name, of, a piece of what God is, because he's too big to say one thing, he just says, Moses, just tell, tell them I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. I love that. It's genius. I am who I am. He, lo- he is love. I mean, he loves because he's love. I am who I am. So, what else does it mean? It means that no matter, it means that when you sin, this is what it means, in, in practically speaking, in, in a tr- world full of trouble and temptation and flesh that wars against the real you. We have flesh, the pa- all of us have the power of, of sin still in our bodies, our mortal bodies that wars against the real you on the inside, the new heart that doesn't want to sin, doesn't want to walk contrary to his life is struggling contrary sometimes with the power of sin in the flesh, every single one of us. It's part of the human condition. God left it that way. He said, I'll leave a few giants in the land that you'll depend on me. I'll give you the land little by little that you'll depend on me. You'll grow in manifestation as a tree grows, bearing more and more fruit. So what does it mean? It means this. It means when you sin, when I sin, when I sin, as James says, we all stumble in many ways. When I sin, it means that God doesn't count those sins against me. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account because you have trusted Christ. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. For God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them anymore. The enemy has no defense to this. They overcame the beast by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, not loving their lives even unto the death. It's awesome. That's what it means practically. It means when we stumble and fall, 
He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still inside of me and I'm still inside of him. All this talk about let's get closer to God, it's not, it's not scriptural. The only reference to being cl- calling, the only thing the scripture, when the scripture calls someone to get close to God, he's talking to an unbeliever. James is calling the unbeliever to draw near to God. The unbeliever is called to draw near to God. But, but if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you can't get any closer. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit, Paul says. And sin is not being imputed against you. So there's nothing that will separate that again. You are in him. He's in you. All this talk about I've got to pray through. I, I feel like I've got brass ceilings. I've got to pray through and get to heaven. I've got to get to God. I've got to pray through. And I, I feel like, no. What's that? How can you? You are seated with him in heavenly places, not even looking up. You're looking down. Looking down on the earth. From heaven's perspective, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're an heir. That's what it means, practically. It means to throw out all this wrong thinking about brass ceilings and trying to get closer to God. I mean, my God, do you really think you can get closer to God? Yeah. You really do have to repent. Change your mind, man. You are in union with God. I mean, only God could bring you into this place where he said, Moses is a place by me and I will place you there. Paul says it is of God that you are in Christ Jesus. Of God that you are in Christ Jesus. You can't do it. I can't do it. There's no way I could. How can I get closer to God? Unless God puts me where he is, I could never in my own obedience or effort Get closer to God. But God can bring me through death and resurrection such that I am now hidden, Paul says, hidden with Christ inside of God. Know you not that you've already died, Paul says, and your life is now hidden with Christ inside of God. Can't get any closer. That's what it means, practically. In a world full of trouble, tribulation, pain and aches, muscle aches and bone aches. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, weak earthen vessels, this treasure that the excellency of the power that is within us is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves. He hasn't moved a bit. It's awesome. It means that, uh, I'll tell you what else it means. It means you have the, you have the ear of heaven. We can go boldly to a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment, a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. Always. Open heaven. Always. Because of the Son. Because of what Jesus did. Open heaven. Always. Jesus said, up until now you haven't asked much, but ask. Ask the Father in my name and he will do it. And don't think, I'm, don't think that he will, um, he said, don't think that, that I will ask the Father for you. He said, he said don't think that, that you have to go through me and, and, and beg the Father for something. He goes, because he loves you like I love you. Isn't that awesome? He said, don't think that you have to, like, somehow get me to convince. See, all this, this religious thinking, like, okay, here's the Father as the judge, and Jesus is my advocate, my lawyer, and, 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 and the Father wants to judge me, and, the, and my lawyer stands up, and my advocate, and says, Father, don't judge them because I pay the price. That's bogus. That's bogus. That's bogus. That's exactly what Jesus said. Do not think. Do not think the Father has somehow thinks differently toward you than I do. Don't think I'm trying to keep the Father from killing you. 
That's what he's saying. He said, don't think the Father loves you as I love you. He sent me. I am the express image of his person. It's not that old religious lawyer scene stuff. No. He took our judgment for us willingly. He says, ask, ask. You have an open heaven, ask. There's so much stuff in our minds that's so religious and so so of this world and so... The le- See, the leaven of law can leaven the whole lump, but also the leaven of religious thinking. Just like this baggage with the word repentance. For example, I was talking to Craig uh, last Sunday about how in Romans 7, let me ask you this question. Do you believe that someone who is sinning a believer now, a believer in Christ. Do you believe a believer in Christ who is sinning and who, who is habitually sinning in some area of sin, doing something? Sinning, 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 still sinning. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, still sinning. Do you believe that believer needs repentance? Do you believe that believer needs to repent? The answer is, it depends. It depends. Now, what if I add a fact to that, that statement? What if you have a believer who is sinning, 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 Monday, Tuesday, but he hates what he's doing? He hates it. No. Right. He does not need repentance. He hates it. He wants to get free of it. He hates it. It might be stealing pencils from 7-Eleven. I don't know. He can't help himself. Every time he goes in 7-Eleven, he steals a pencil. He hates it. He does not need repentance. That brother does not need repentance. He hates what he's doing. He's already changed his mind about it. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't like it. He doesn't, it's not Christ-like. He wants to be free. He hates it. Well, Romans 7 is Paul's description of that very situation. Paul says, I am doing the very thing I don't want to do. I hate what I'm doing. The very time I want to do good, I find evil present with me. I end up doing the very thing I don't want to do. Who shall deliver me from this? I hate what I'm doing. I will to do good, but I I can't do it. You know, that's why Romans 7, there's not a single mention of the word repentance in that whole chapter. Nor is it in chapter 6 or 7 or 8. Not anywhere close to this entire discussion of a believer struggling with the flesh. Not a single time is the word repentance or repent mentioned in the text. Why? Because we have so much baggage on that word, we think repentance is an entirely different thing. We think there's no way somebody could have repented if they're still sinning. Because on our definition of repentance is that you change your life. You turn your life around. You start doing different. You obey. You start walking in righteousness. And if you're not doing that, you haven't repented. That is a lie. And that's why a lot of believers are frustrated and struggling and in guilt because they're being told by preachers, you have not truly repented if you're still sinning. And Paul would say, that's not true. Because Paul was still sinning and he hated it and he needed to get free and he couldn't, at least at that point, 
because he, the answer is in chapter 8. But, but, but isn't that awesome? That, see, and, we, and, we, and we, say, we say things like, you know, sometimes we'll say like, the best gospel to give a new believer is the gospel of John. Give him the gospel of John. That's the best, you know, new believer. Do you realize the word repentance or repent never appears in the gospel of John, not even once? We have put so much pressure. Can you hold that, hold that thought? Okay, thanks. We have put so much pressure. I mean, so much uh, baggage on that word that we think that's the cure-all of everything. Repent. It just means to change your mind. And like we said last Sunday, if you put your definition of repentance down, um, you know, what, change your you know, direction of your life, uh, weeping, sorrow, turn from sin, whatever. Take whatever definition you have of repentance. Put it in this scripture where it says, and God repented. God repented. Wow. It changes things. You mean God was sorry for his sin? You mean God turned over a new leaf? God changed his... No! God changed his mind Amen. and decided not to destroy Nineveh. We, just, we put... It, it's, it's religious thinking that's killing the church. It's, it's another level of legalism. A little law leavens the lump of the whole lump and religious thinking is all tied in with that. It's all from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and it's killing the church. Because we're not seeing the simplicity of Christ Amen. and what he's done. Amen. Now, what if that brother does not hate what he's doing? And he's, he's sinning, and he's sinning, he's sinning. He needs repentance. Amen. He needs to repent. Just like the brother, the Corinthian brother, Paul says, who was sleeping with his father's wife, he repented. Paul says he needs to repent. He needs to change his mind about that. That's not Christ-like. That's flesh. That's not spirit. So that's why I'd say it depends. Because if you have a brother who's continually sinning and, and doesn't hate what they're doing and wants to continue to do it and it's clearly unchristlike and fleshly, that person does need to repent, change his mind about it. Yeah, it's just that simple. But don't put believers on a treadmill. It's like me telling Barbara, Barbara, you need to sit down in that chair. And then suddenly Barbara's like questioning. I thought I was sitting down in the chair. It's that kind of confusion. When you tell a believer to repent and they've already repented and they hate what they're doing, it's confusion and it leads them down the wrong path of, a, of a performance, a performance-based kind of thing that they're trying to do something to get God to like them. It's kind of like this. It's like repentance. Is, it's like this. It's like, it's like a highway. Say you're going down this highway. Say this is I-4. We need to all repent of I-4 probably. But. Take another route. Change your mind. No. But anyway, say, say, say you're going down this road here in this direction and say this symbolizes walking in the flesh or in sin and you say, this is not, you know, this is not good. I'm angry at this person for no reason. I've got bitterness toward this person. I need to, you know, forgive them as Christ has forgiven me. And that's just flesh. And I need to walk in the spirit about this. Okay. So you decide to get off this road. And you take this exit. You've changed your mind. You're off the road. And you're about to go underneath this overpass and go up this ramp to get in this direction on I-4. Because you've changed your mind right here. But right here, there's a big construction project going on. <laughs> And you've changed your mind. You're trying to get back here, but you can't. You don't need repentance. 
You don't need to repent. You've already repented, but you do need to get past this construction block. That's what Romans 8 is all about. Romans 8 is all about a revelation of this kingdom. The mindset, I love that mindset, the mindset on things of the spirit brings life and peace. But the mindset on the flesh is death. So the revelation of Christ and who we are as sons and daughters in the kingdom of heaven allows us to get past this and allow the, the freedom of the life of the Spirit to come forth. But you don't tell this person to repent. You tell them to have their mind renewed. Amen. Renewed. The renewal of the mind is what most believers need, not repentance. It, actually, the truth is, believers very seldom need repentance. They need renewal. We need renewal all the time. It's a constant unfolding of our minds being renewed. By the renewing of the mind, we're transformed. It's awesome. Reading the word. Yes, the word, the revelation of Christ. Yeah, go ahead. I have a question for you. Sure. Um, I, had a, I had a friend. That she, she was a born-again Christian. She was a born-again Christian. And she had that same thought. That she was wrong. She lived in her sin. And it was pretty good sin. I mean, sin is sin. It doesn't matter. A liar well the way I would answer that is this First of all, so where is she today? But the way I would answer is this: it's the wrong question. That's the right question. We shouldn't even ask the question. We should not even ask: is that person in heaven or hell? We should not even ask the question. You know why? Because it's an unanswerable question. Only God knows. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the things that are revealed to us belong to us and to our children, but the things that are not revealed to us belong to the Lord. Amen. So the very fact that we would ask the question makes me think that we're thinking in a judgmental way, yeah. trying to decide if that person really has repented or not, or really is a believer or not. So be careful of that, because that is the wrong path. But she chose to continue even though she knew she was wrong. Doesn't matter. No, I'm not saying about heaven or hell. I'm just saying she chose to continue. So how does that come into play with what you're sharing? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's the truth, this is the truth. So what you do is you, you live by the truth and you don't even ask the question, is that, had that person, has that person really, you just continue ministering to them and encouraging them in the truth. It's up to them. They have to choose. And you know, sometimes people will say things to us, but in the secret of their bedroom, she, you don't know that she's not crying in her bedroom, so frustrated. Even the very fact that she said, maybe one day, one day I'll change, that gives me a lot of hope. Amen. But I'm not even asking the question because it's not my business. And so, so what, what, what we need to do is speak the truth, live the truth, 
And as Jesus said, don't worry about what the tear, where the tares are, where the weed is. Don't worry about trying to pick up the tares because you'll pull the weed up as you're trying to get the tares. Don't even think like that. That's right. You just pray. Just pray and encourage because only God knows the heart. And, and outwardly, men judge according to the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. And if, there, if she is really born of the Spirit and has a new heart, I'm telling you, she's miserable. She's miserable. And though she may not communicate that clearly to us, God knows. So I would just encourage you not to even go down that road. Because it's, not a, it's, 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 there's, it's an unanswerable question. It's a question God does not want us asking. Does it, is there anywhere in Scripture where God says, ask, uh, ask, me to, to, and ask me whether this person is going to heaven or not? It, it was tried once by Peter. Peter said, well, Lord, what about this man? What, what's going to happen to this man? Talking about John. What about, what, what's going to happen to this guy? And Jesus said, Peter, what is that to you? Amen. You Amen. follow me. Amen. That's the Lord's answer. What is that to you? You follow me. I'll take care of that man. It's a good question. I'm glad you asked it because we, we don't want to get on that road of judging each other's hearts or wondering if they've repented enough. That's part of this relig- religious baggage. It's, it's actually part of it because, because we're looking at at obedience, our performance, and we're making a judgment based on what we're seeing with our eyes, and God's bigger than that. I had a buddy of mine that uh, he was a he was a Vietnam veteran, and uh, he was 100% disabled, and he accidentally shot himself in the head, and uh, in front of his wife, and we we were we were at his funeral, and uh, just two weeks before he did that, I led him to the Lord, and uh, we were we were at his funeral, and uh, a lady prayed, and she asked the Lord. Uh, uh, I have to know is 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 he at, is he in heaven? And the Holy Spirit revealed that uh, he was in fact in heaven, and his head was on Jesus' lap. And I feel that that was a legitimate prayer and a legitimate. And she had peace after mm-hmm. that. And she was a born again Christian. Mm-hmm. And I felt that that was a legitimate uh, prayer and an answered prayer. Uh, and I. And there were, I, I didn't think that there was anything wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, that's, you know, God, God is God. Exactly. exactly. And if God wants to answer the question, exactly. far be it from us to say, exactly. wait a minute, wait a minute. Our, our biblical principle here says you're not supposed to answer. Yeah. You know, our book on biblical principles says you're not right. supposed to answer. You know, it's ridiculous. Right. So that's great. That's and great. One of the one of his sons has come to the Lord uh, uh, because of that. And you mentioned, you mentioned that, that, whole, that whole thing about suicide. That, that appeared to be no, a, suicide. It wasn't a suicide, right? No, no, it, it wasn't suicide. It was an accident. I know, but it but, but it appeared to be in some people's minds. They might have thought, "Oh, that was really a suicide." Right. No, but, but we know the truth, right? Because it, it was not suicide, right? Right. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that there's a lot of that going on out there. Sometimes exactly. people exactly. might be high on drugs. They don't know what they're doing, exactly. and we just we just do not need to make these judgments. Exactly. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Just remember what Jesus said. When Peter asked him that, he said, what is that to you? Exactly. You follow me. Leave it in my hands. And we just pray and we encourage people. We speak the truth. We leave it. We leave the weeds and the tares to grow together. We don't decide which is a tear, which is a wheat. Jesus said, if you try to start pulling up the tares, you're going to pull up the wheat too. He says, let it all. The angels will sort it out in the end, Jesus said. And such a rest, such a rest. Amen. Take that responsibility off your shoulders. You don't have to have that responsibility. You don't have to decide. You don't have to know the answer to that. You know? And, and if, if God sees someone is really agonizing over it and He wants to comfort them by giving them that answer, that's God's business, not my business. 
And that's great. But I know what he has taught me, and that is, will the God of all righteousness not, righteousness not do right? So I trust him to do what's right. Because, see, really, our, our, all these questions stem from our sense of justice. Like, you know, is that, is that justice that... Why should she get to go to heaven? She never repented. She really, you know, or, or whatever. And God is saying, I am the God of all righteousness. Will I not do right? right. Trust me. Trust me. James, it's very subtle at times. We we read a a passage where it says, speak the truth in love. Immediately, the religious mindset starts pointing out sin. Whereas that's not Christ. The Holy Spirit within us says, no, speak of me. Right. So when we speak the truth in love, we're not pointing at somebody and saying, brother, you have a weakness. You have a flesh flop. No, what we're saying is, bro, I'm concerned about you. Let me remind you of Christ. Yes, 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 yes. That's another phrase. See the Lord. Yes, that's another phrase, speaking the truth in love, that, have, that has been used by religious think, thinking and systems to beat people over the head. You know, like, I'm just telling you the truth, brother, in love. <laughs> You know, but that's in the context there. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about a revelation of Christ. He gave gifts unto men, apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, evangelists. When he ascended on high, he gave those gifts to men. The reason why he gave the gifts in his ascended state is that so they might see the ascended reality. They're sent to give the revelation of of the ascended reality. To impart truth that we all might be built up in Him and come to we all come to the fullness of the maturity of the Son of God. Therefore, speak this truth in love to one another and build one another up. See, so forth. And yeah, there's a time when you there's a time when you rebuke someone or you have to say something to someone because they're going down I four and they're not they're not changing their mind. And you want to, you want to tell them, hey, there's a cliff. The bridge is out. The bridge is out ahead, and that's perfectly proper. To, there's time, but that's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. People were sinning all around Jesus, all around him every day. And he rarely rebuked anybody. I mean, they caught the woman in the very act of adultery and then he didn't rebuke her. He said, neither do I condemn you. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Why? Because the heaven has a whole different dynamic. Even a rebuke is not the answer. If, you, if, you, if someone does need to repent and change their mind... That doesn't, that doesn't change them. All it does is turn them around to look at Him. What changes people is to see Him. Isn't that cool? So 99% of the time, we're just trying to show people Him. And if there's something blocking somebody from seeing Him, then yeah, we can say, we can say something. But you say it in such tenderness and such, you know, the way Jesus talked, it's like... You know, here's this woman who's had five divorces and she's sleeping with a man who's not her husband. And, and Jesus, instead of speaking the truth in love, pointing out all these sins, he says, oh, woman, it's not really about you. You're just thirsting for life. If you only knew who I was, woman. Amen. He brings it to himself, always to himself. Don't be afraid. Come to me. Come to me. Bring it to me. Look to me. Don't be afraid, Peter. Come to me. Fear not. Come to me. If you only knew who I was, woman, I would give you water to drink and you would never thirst again. Amen. That's him. Amen. That's God's way. That's heaven's way. Amen. And it's the spirit of the kingdom. It's the life. It's, it's what God has called us to do. And when we understand what repentance really means, it'll change the way we, we live and how we think and how we talk to people. Amen. Awesome. Yes.
easy God out? Easing. Easing God out. Oh, interesting. Ego. Easing God out. Yeah. That's good. That's very good. That's very good. We'll never forget that the rest of our lives. Ego. Easing God out. That's cool. That's very good. That's very cool. You know, one of the, we'll close with this, running out of time, but one of the things that really um, is awesome about understanding the new covenant and Jesus' love and the way of grace, it set me free from being the righteousness police. Because I was always, as a legalistic believer, I was always worrying about other people's lives and, you know, whether they're walking in obedience or, and I was hard on myself too. The same way you look at others, you look at yourself, you know, and you, you see God that way, so you see God that way for yourself. It's, it's a horrible way to live because um, He has not called us to be the righteousness police. He has called us to be sowers of seed. He's not even called us to argue with a bunch of people, but just plant seeds, 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 and watch them grow. For God is the one who waters and gives the increase. One man waters, one man, one man uh, plants, but God gives the increase. So anyway, just it, it's, a, it's a relaxing way to live. It's a restful way to live to where I'm not responsible for everybody around me. How could I be anyway? I can't even change my own self. I mean, only God can change me. I, how can I even think about changing somebody else? I can't even change myself without God. So I'm just going to look to Him to transform me and hopefully be a witness of this other realm that others might believe and rest and enter into His rest. And in by, thereby doing, we will glorify God and bear much fruit. Amen. Lord, thank You so much. Thank You so much for teaching us. Lord, thank you for the reality of your way. Thank you for the love of God. Thank you for the peace. Thank you for the kingdom. Thank you that you are causing us to see a whole new way of thinking. A new and living way, Hebrews says. A new and living way. I pray your blessings, Lord, on my brothers and my sisters, Lord. I pray that, that we would grow strong in you. Roots going down deep in your love. Being built up in your love. Lord, I pray that we would, you would give us the revelation by the Spirit of the height and the width and the breadth and the depth of the love of God that is inside of us and toward us. Kingdom without end. Lord, thank you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen.